Well, today we are going to start a new series on 1 John. I have been so excited about this series probably for about a year now. I've been excited about this series. If you have your Bible or your device this morning, please turn there to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. This is the first message in this series, 1 John. Uh, It's written, obviously, by the Apostle John. Dynamic Christians are finding that the daily study of God's Word allows His Spirit to do in them what He wishes to do and to communicate through them, and you'll find that in no better place than in the writings of John. We like to call the Johannine writings. Just go to the first chapter there, 1 John chapter number 1st. And uh, let's look at the first four verses to kick this series off. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. You can just follow along um, in whatever version you may have. We'll get it the same place there together. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched, with our own hands, concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the ex- eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, when you talk about John, and we're talking about this series of 1 John, what we want to do is you have to look at the whole Johannine writings as a whole in order to understand John and where he's coming from. This first message is called Knowing John's Jesus. And you'll see by these first few verses in 1 John chapter 1 that he knew Jesus. He said, that which we have seen and touched. In other words, this was my boy. <laughs> I walked with him. We stood hand in hand. We, you know, we, we walked together. We fished. We ate together. We did these things together. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. And so we're going to look at Jesus uh, through the perspective or through the eyes of the apostle John. Now, John wrote the book of the Gospel of John. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And then he also wrote the book of Revelation. Okay? Three different books in the Bible. What is amazing to me as you study John is that John wrote the book of Revelation. And when you look at that book, you see what a great and complicated book that is. Yet the same man wrote the Gospel of John and then also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's amazing that such a vast array of uh, theology and, um, you know, sort of doctrine and, and, and revelation came from this man, from the gospel, where he basically tells you how to uh, get saved and then what happened, the resurrection and all that. He brings forth the deity of Christ. The, and in the book of Revelation, uh, where it's really, uh, I mean, you, have to, you, have, you need revelation to understand revelation. Come on. <laughs> And so, and then, but then he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is, and we're going to look at 1st John. And the message in this first epistle is pretty clear. 
You see up there that uh, the New Testament has 27 books, 260 chapters. John wrote 50 of those chapters. 50 chapters. We often talk about how much of the New Testament Paul wrote. But if you look at the 260 chapters, John wrote 50 of those chapters. And so we have a lot to learn and a lot to get from John, the Apostle John. What we're going to be talking about in this series, it's going to be a a lengthy series. I'll just let you know uh, off the top. uh, We're going to be on this for the next few weeks. Uh, Big matter of fact, big part of the summer. Okay, we're going to be on this first John, uh, live like Jesus, share his love and 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 loving Jesus, transforming lives is what we're going to get to. This first uh, message is going to be called knowing John's Jesus. Then we're going to go on to empowered to overcome. John tells us that lavishly loved by God. All right. Perfect love for imperfect people. How many imperfect people who are willing to admit it are in here? I see that hand. All right. Is there one more? All right me all right love has no room for fear and then renewing our confidence in god so six weeks uh, of first john we're going to have all that we want to know about john by the time we're done with this series today we're just going to sort of lay a foundation for the series the goal of first john is simply one thing and that is to live like jesus lived that's the goal of first john now i would say to you that this is a high and lofty target. Would you agree with that? I mean, if somebody would say to live like Jesus, uh, it's similar to someone coming up to me and say, hey, listen, I want you to write. I want you to write a book, write some plays, and I want you to write like Shakespeare. Well, you know, how do you do that? If I'm not Shakespeare, how do you write like Shakespeare? You know, it'd be like somebody coming up to you and say, why don't you sing like Andrea Bocelli? I mean, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, if it's, if it's not in you to do, how do you do it? You know, it's, it's difficult to do or uh, play the violin like Paganini, who, uh, you know, a lot of his stuff is still used for a curriculum. You know, he used a lot of his stuff uh, for, for teaching. And then also, uh, obviously Rembrandt or other painters, you know, to do that. I mean, how could you do that without, uh, you know, a miracle? <laughs> Someone coming up and praying for you and God anointing you to be able to do those things. Well, if it's not in you to do, how do you do it? Yet... John tells us, live like Jesus. Look at this verse of scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 in a few different uh, translations. First of all, the Good News translation says it this way. John says, if we say that we remain in union with God, then we should live just as Jesus Christ did. That's what he tells us. The International Standard Version puts it like this, says the one who says that he abides in him must live the same way that he himself lived. It doesn't say you can live that way sometimes or you can kind of live that way. He says must live that way if you say you abide in him. New Living Translation says those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus Did And then the New Century Version, whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. You must live the way Jesus lived if you say that you are in God and he is in you. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to put it. Uh, No other viewpoint you can have. Yeah, I've said before in this pulpit that there was a time when I was traveling to work with a, a friend and we'd ride back and forth to Indianapolis and 
he went to a universal Unitarian church. And, uh, you know, we, but we had a lot of interesting discussions. And, uh, you know, we, we discussed the Bible one time. And, you know, it was very interesting to me. Uh, I've said this before, but he, it, it just keeps coming up in my mind, you know, it, that he uh, said that he, you know, he, he, lo- he likes the Bible. You know, he believes the Bible, everything except for that Jesus dying on the cross did, you know. And I thought, well, that's, you know, <laughs> that's the thread that ties the whole Bible together. You know, there's nothing else but Jesus. The whole Bible begins and ends uh, about Jesus, all right? It, it, you know, and so Jesus is it. <laughs> so live like Jesus is, this, the, is the theme of the gospel or of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. Uh, live like Jesus. What about the live like Jesus miracle, this miracle that we need? Listen, the upper room discourse in the Gospel of John is a seed plot from which these ideas come. In other words, this is the fertile ground when the upper room experience happened. And when John explained what was going to happen in that upper room, that was the fertile ground from which this comes. It explains the vine branch relationship. You know, somebody can't tell you, what am I saying with all Somebody would just say, do you live like Jesus? Well, there's got to be some other things involved. There's got to be this vine branch relationship, all right, from which John derives his thoughts. And it's the miracle, this miracle, that allows us to live like Jesus and abide in him. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. We have to have his spirit in us. I mean, if I had the spirit of Shakespeare, then I may be able to write like Shakespeare, all right? The only way I can live like Jesus is what? To have his spirit in me. It's the only way. In fact, you can't even witness if you read the book of Acts. You can't even witness without the spirit living in you effectively. You can't do it. The Bible says it. So who is this John that we're talking about? Well, first of all, there are some main themes in the book of John. We know that the overall theme is obviously to live like Jesus. But then he talks about this. Living like Jesus means what? Well, it means that God is light. All right. Second theme is that God is love. He explains this. And God is life. That to me means that God is everything. There's no way to get around it. All right. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Can't go around it. God is all in all. I like it when one preacher said that uh, God doesn't live in the universe. The universe abides in God. That's how big God is. He is everything. And so the Apostle John explains this to us. Well, what about John? In the Greek, John's name means Jehovah is gracious. He was called the Apostle John. He was called John the Evangelist, John the Elder, John the Beloved, John the Revelator, the Apostle of Love. John the Pillar, John the Presbyter. This man was a lot of things. But we need to know something about him in order to understand what he's writing. See, John was from a small town, Bethsaida. He was a fisherman. He was in his father's business. Uh, In fact, his brother James was also a fisherman. And if you really read and study, you'll find out that Peter was actually from this city as well. And Peter was a fisherman. And so uh, it's believed that Peter, James, and John sort of grew up together. I have also read and heard that this John, not, uh, not John the Baptist, but this John was also a cousin of Jesus. Okay? And so, yeah, there's a lot of ties here. But he's from this very small town. His father was a fisherman. All right? And uh, he then became obviously one of the original 
12 disciples. But if you were to talk to John, he could tell you how difficult this work was. John was a blue-collar kind of guy. All right, he went out on the boat, sometimes for hours and hours and hours at a time. And he did difficult, blue-collar type work. He knew how to get his hands dirty. He knew how to get in there. And so becoming a disciple really fit him because Jesus requires, come on, that we get our hands dirty sometimes. Sometimes it's a little messy in dealing with people. I don't believe you can deal with people on a daily basis. Jody knows what I'm talking about. And it not get messy. And it not get hard sometimes and difficult sometimes. Well, John was used to this. John knew about this. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. John was not like Paul. You say wrote a lot of the New Testament. John was not educated and John was not a learned man with a doctorate and a master's and all this. He didn't learn under, you know, all of the Pharisees and all these type of things. He was a, he was a blue collar worker. He was from the other side of the tracks. Come on. From Bethsaida. That's who we're talking about. John the apostle. John, Peter, and James. Jesus often took these three aside. And, you know, it was John, uh, that really you know, he's called the apostle of love, the disciple of love and all that. But if you remember, when they were talking about one of the cities that rejected Jesus, it was John who said, hey, let's call down fire from heaven and destroy this city. That was John. You know, his buddy Peter cut off a man's ear, didn't he? Right? The apostle of love. It was John and James who were walking along and Jesus said, hey, what you thinking about? And he said, hey, Lord, listen. Do what we ask you to do. Can you imagine walking up to the Lord and saying, hey, do, do what I'm asking you to do. Say, well, what is it? Well, when the king, your kingdom comes, put me at the right and my brother at the left. He said, well, I really can't do that. It's not in my hands to do that. Uh, but, you know, I, you can drink of this cup that I'm going to drink of. And without knowing what he was talking about, they said, yeah, okay, that sounds good. He said, no, no, you don't know what I'm talking about, this cup of suffering. No. But these were the bold guys. Well, it made me look at John a little bit differently because I began to look at John and he's the disciple and the apostle of love. And, you know, he was the one who laid his head on Jesus' shoulder, his chest, you know, at the Last Supper. And he was the one that Jesus said, Mother, here, look at your son when he was on the cross. And he was just the disciple of love. Yet, um, and, and I, you know, Jesus always kept Peter, James, and John close by him. And a lot of people, it's very common thought that a lot of people think that the reason Jesus did this was because he just loved them the most. And they were, you know, the guys that he loved and he wanted to bring close to him. I don't know that I totally 100% subscribe to that theory. We don't know. You know, Jesus will have to tell us. I kind of think it was more like he wanted to keep an eye on them. I mean, if you think about it, these were the guys, you know, always cutting off in the air. I mean, jumping out of boats, walking on water, calling fire down from heaven. Would you not want to keep these guys close to you and keep an eye on them? I mean, even when they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember, uh, it was great. I mean, and, and Jesus turned white and his you know, spiritual form came out up there. And then you saw Moses, Moses and Elijah. And here Peter steps up. Hey, it is good for us to be here, Jack. Oh, yeah. In fact, you know what? We got an idea. We have an idea. We're going to build three tabernacles. 
One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's just speaking up. Until finally the father has to say, hey, be quiet. Says, my son, hear ye him. We're not going to stay up here on the mountain, Peter. (laughs) This is for a purpose. I can imagine the father saying, who are these three guys? (laughs) Well, this is Peter, James, and John. I'm keeping them close to me. Okay, well, you better keep them close. They're getting on my nerves. They keep talking. (laughs) I always have something to say. (laughs) And so John, you know, John, he was a blue-collar guy. He was, uh, he, he was the, the apostle of love, but he didn't start that way. Okay? So how many know there's hope for you and me? <laughs> All right? He didn't start that way. But in the end, he was known for his passionate and intimate love for Jesus. Possibly because Jesus took him, molded him, and shaped him, forgave him, stuck with him, had patience with him, had some long suffering, had some perseverance, come on, as he went through all of this. And so he could say, well, I can't do anything but love him. You know, when everybody else gave up on me, there he was. Come on. So John passionately loved Jesus. He was known for his prayers and his prayer life. He he was known for intercession. He was known for his devotion to study the scriptures. He was known for passionate emotions, sometimes anger and explosive emotions. Yeah, John. John had a nickname, Boanerges. Did you even know that that was in the Bible? Mark chapter 3. He was called Boanerges. That means thunder. (laughs) The son of thunder, sons of thunder, him and his brother, Boanerges. And so while he was the apostle of love, he didn't begin that way. Many theologians believe that John, uh, he ended up becoming a pastor. He had a pastoral heart. But many believe that he really founded those seven churches that you read about in Revelation. Possibly, be, and possibly that's why Jesus or the Father talked to him. We don't know for sure. But, you know, those churches, Philadelphia and Laodicea and what's some other ones? Smyrna. And, right. All of these, all those seven churches. He was a church planter. Come on, to disciple. All right. He was a mentor. He was a great leader. And another thing to know about John is John was the only apostle who was not violently martyred. I don't know if you knew that or not, but, but it's, at least it's written, uh, and historically that all the apostles were martyred one way or another, right? Peter was hung upside down because when he was crucified, he felt like he wasn't worthy. You know, to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord Jesus and others were, you know, violently murdered, right? But John was the only one who wasn't martyred in that way. Now, he suffered for Jesus. In fact, he was boiled in oil. Think about it. But he wasn't killed then. Yeah, I know. He, he suffered for Jesus. And uh, he, he actually, then they, you know, they finally end up saying, listen, this guy, we can't martyr him. We can't kill him. We tried boiling him. We're just going to send him off to Patmos. Right? And it was one of the best things they could have ever done for us because great revelation came out of that. Right? And uh, when he wrote the, this book of 1 John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, actually John was well up in age. He was 95 plus years old when he wrote this. And so John was well-seasoned. All right. He had been through it all. Right. He had made mistakes. He had done good things. He's seen the good. He's seen the bad. He's been up. He's been down. He's suffered good days, bad days, all of this. Come on. When you get to be 95, 
or you've seen a lot of things. You've made your share of mistakes. And you've done some good things in your life. Just live long enough. And so when he wrote these, uh, these epistles, uh, he was well up in age. He had a lot of time to think on that island of Patmos. And uh, he wrote these first three books. And he was, a, he was a church planner. He was a mentor. He suffered for Christ. He did all these things on this island. Got a great revelation from God when he was on this island. All to give to us for a purpose that we might live like Jesus lived. It's the purpose. So the purpose of this letter is seen in this First John 1 through 4, these first four verses. They, they really, in the original Greek, formed one long sentence in the original manuscript. But there's some things that they tell us. It tells us this passage of Scripture and these verses tell us uh, that, we, that, he, that John really promotes life in Jesus. Everything he does, he promotes life in Jesus. With everything you do, whether you're in music, whether you work at the grocery store, whether you're a counselor, a pastor, or whether you work at the lumberyard, whatever you do, if you're a telephone man, electrician, he promotes life in Jesus. Your whole life should be encompassed by Jesus for success. He encourages holiness. Now, that's a word when you hear holiness, oh, what does that mean? Does it mean walking this way or dressing, you know, a certain way? No. You know what holiness means? It means following the Holy Spirit. In other words, it boils down to a word, obedience, what God tells you to do when he tells you to do it, right? Following what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. That's, that's, you're holy if you do that, okay? It's not the way you look or the way you talk. It's not your vocabulary. It's simply following God. He combats false teaching in 1 John. He then also provides us an assurance of salvation. And he encourages us to elevate the love of God, elevate our love for God, and to elevate the love of God to others. Okay? Now, the occasion of this letter was to correct prominent heresies. You see, at this time, there were these, uh, this sect going around called the Gnostics. Okay, you've heard of the Gnostics and Gnosticism. They really believed that knowledge and virtue was of a higher level. They didn't believe in spirituality or any of those things. You know, that's why they didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed he was a good man, but he wasn't the Son of God because you had to have a higher level of learning in order to, uh, you know, understand God. And certainly Jesus couldn't have done that. They believed that knowledge was superior. Knowledge, knowing truth, replaced living the truth. See, knowing it was greater than living it. And so John had to come along and say, listen, I walked with truth because Jesus said, I am the truth, the way and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And I knew the truth. I handled the truth. I touched the truth. I ate with the truth. I learned from the truth. I argued with the truth. I was rebuked by the truth. I was with the truth. Okay? So if you want to know truth, let me tell you what it is. And he began to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John about the truth. You see, the Gnostics, they believe that scriptures cannot be known by the unqualified, but only the qualified intellectuals. Now, I don't want to step on any toes this morning, but I just must tell the truth here. And I, I hopefully it's received well. 
We find this today even in Catholicism where you cannot pray yourself. And you see, I'm saying this from experience. I, I grew up Catholic, one through five, okay? One through, one through six, kindergarten through sixth grade. Grew up that way, going to Mass every Wednesday, every Friday, all right? But you couldn't talk to God yourself. No, 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 no. If you wanted forgiveness, you had to go into the priest. Then you don't automatically get forgiveness. You have to do what the priest feels like you need to do in order to be forgiven. Hope that doesn't step on your toes, but to me, that does not agree with this Bible. And that's what the Gnostics believe, okay? You can't get to God. You have to, you have to learn and study and, you know, those type of things. They didn't believe Christ was God. A deity cannot be united with this genetic material, especially in a world as evil as this is. So John came to destroy all of that thinking and to say that Jesus came to break dividing walls and to smash down barriers and the veil was rent. All right, now we have access right into the presence of the Lord for ourselves. You don't have to go to anyone else. You can go right to God for yourself. That's what John was trying to get us to see. Now we need, he's trying to promote us, uh, promote this life in Christ so that we will live out the Christ-inspired life. John had these personal experiences with Jesus as he walked the earth. And these experiences are far-reaching. You know, he said, we write to you about the word of life, which has existed from the very beginning. We have heard it. We have seen it with our own eyes. We have uh, touched it. And this life became visible. We saw it in action. How blessed would it be to see the kingdom of God in action? John the Baptist, when he was in the water, looked up and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he wasn't talking about some, you know, kingdom with rulers and all that. He was talking about Jesus was standing right there. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. How blessed we have been to walk with the kingdom of God. Well, guess what? How much more blessed are we to not only walk with the kingdom of God, but to have the kingdom of God in you? We are more blessed than the disciples and apostles. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? You are. Because they didn't have, until the day of Pentecost, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. Now, they walked with him. They talked with him. They touched him. But now he lives in us. He has filled us. How blessed are we? We are the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in you. It's not meat nor drink. All right? People say, lo, there's the kingdom. There's the kingdom. No. I have something to tell you. Look in the mirror. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, look in the mirror. John uses two verbs to describe the apostolic announcement. Testify and proclaim. Testify and proclaim. Now, I'll tell you something. For you and I, this doesn't mean that we need to walk around with a soapbox going down to People's Park all the time, although we can do that. But it doesn't mean we need to do that, stand up there and preach the Word of God all day. But testify and proclaim means the way that you live your everyday life. What goes in and what comes out? Is it godly? Is it like Jesus? All right? 
I like that brother who uh, came up with that, those things that, uh, what would Jesus do? WWJD, right? And he had, uh, you know, around his wrist and there were all kind of necklaces and he actually was fulfilling the scripture, I believe back in Deuteronomy, which said that, uh, bind my word around your neck, right? So that you will never forget it. But I'd like to upgrade that even to say, what did Jesus do? We don't need to wonder what would Jesus do. All we need to do is go back and see what did Jesus do? Because he was, he was, he left an example for us. It says in first Peter chapter two, he walked this earth as an example and we can go back. We don't have to make the same mistakes in order to learn. Many people think that, think that with our children. Well, they just got to go through it for themselves. Well, sometimes they do and that's a shame, but guess what? They don't have to. You can look. What did Jesus do? What is John trying to tell me? I want to live like that. I can avoid some things if I'm proactive. Come on, saints. Come on. Say, we proclaim the word of life. We proclaim eternal life. We proclaim what we see. This proclamation was not an end in itself. Its purpose, immediate and ultimate, is defined in our fellowship. It's defined in our fellowship. John is very clear that it can't be me and Jesus and no more. No, no person is an island. It can't just be you. You can't stay home every Sunday and every Wednesday, never fellowshipping with anyone and think that you're living like Jesus. Because if you look at what Jesus did, if you read the book, you'll see he never lived that way. There were only times when he had to get away, go up on a mountain and pray. But most of the time, he was with others and not always Christians. But he always influenced and was never influenced. Come on. He went to Matthew's house, took some of his disciples that he was discipling, but then also a lot of Matthew's friends were there who were may have been drinking. Come on. May have been using some language that Jesus wouldn't use. But Jesus influenced them. He did not allow them to influence him. But it's about the fellowship. It's about people. Listen, we're, our, our whole purpose here is about people. That's what it's about. I mean, it's great. I'm so excited uh, we, we have a great open house today, and you're going to see a lot of the things that we're doing with this building, uh, which is great. I mean, it's God-ordained, um, you know, but I want to tell you, it's all about, it's all about you. This, that's why everything is here. This is not just here to say there's a great building up there on the hill. For what purpose? I mean, it's got to be about people. This is about you and I having a place to come together corporately where we can love on God and He can love on us, where we can grow Iron sharpens iron. Come on, fellowship where we can teach and learn, have classes, have great uh, singing and uh, preaching and all of those things. Maybe one day we'll have some great preaching. We're working on it. But, you know, we can have some great things here at this church. Come on. It's about people. It's about the fellowship. And that's really what John promotes. First John 1 John 1.3 said, We announce to you that we have seen and heard because we want you also to have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with God the Father. 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now listen to what John, remember, remember this. John, when he wrote this, was old, okay? There's just no other way to put it. I would say he's seasoned. He was old, all right? And he had been through a lot of things. And how many know when you get to a certain age, you know, when you, when you, when you say things to people, you don't really care as much as you did when you were young. <laughs> you know, not that you want to hurt their feelings. You're not trying to do that. You're trying to live like Jesus. But you just go ahead and say it. You know, I don't, I don't know how much time I got left, so I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, that's not right. <laughs> you need to grow up. <laughs> Come on. There's a pastor that I listen to. I won't mention his name. Brother Carter knows him. Uh, and I, I listen to a lot. And uh, he's a great teacher, a great teacher. But I mean, this man, I mean, he'll say some stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, you said that. Well, it's true. <laughs> and it helps. <laughs> but I don't know if I would have said it quite like that, you know. And he'll just say it. This is where John is in his life. Verse 6 says this, So if we say we have fellowship in God, but we continue living in darkness, guess what? He doesn't pull any punches. He says, we are liars. You're a liar. You're lying. <laughs> we are liars and do not follow the truth. But if we live in light, verse 7 says, as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. Then the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin. But if you say that you're walking in the light and you don't love your brother, love your sister, you're lying. He just doesn't say, well, you shouldn't do that. No, he says you're lying. That's a, that's a lie. <laughs> just get it out on the table, ask for repentance, and move forward. <laughs> Fellowship implies, number one, common participation in the grace of God and the life found in Christ. Common participation. We all have to work together to fellowship together. Why do I say that? Because sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to fellowship. Well, if we were just to be realistic, we would know that we have certain people that we like hanging out with, even at a small church like this. You know, we have certain people that we click with, that we always eat with every time we have a dinner or a agape feast. You just tend to, and I'm not telling you that's wrong. I'm just, it's just a, a, a natural thing to do. You just tend to gravitate toward people that you know and never go outside of your comfort zone. Come on. So it takes work is what I'm saying. It implies common participation. It takes work from everybody to be able to reach over and talk to people that I don't usually talk to on Sundays. Maybe invite someone else out for dinner that I never, uh, I don't even know what they do. I'll, some people, maybe I don't even know their name. Come on. But we have to reach across and fellowship together. A common participation. Fellowship also implies oneness in authentic community. In other words, this doesn't mean putting on the smile just so you can say I'm smiling. It, it should be authentic. If you find yourself having to do that, then I think we need to look internally and say, there's something missing in here. Why can't I smile at everyone? Why can't I smile at everyone? You ever seen somebody who just looks mean? They just look mean all the time. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> People out there getting in trouble. Just look ahead. Don't look. <laughs> Yeah, people just look mean. You know, I had a, a, a great aunt in my, in my family that uh, 
Well, I mean, every, and she was nice. But boy, every time you saw her, just her face. We were afraid to approach her as kids, boy. We thought she was going to smack you as soon as you went over to her. You know, it wasn't until later on I found out that she was actually a nice person. We actually, I'm ashamed to say this, but we had this lady that lived on our block. We always uh, played football, me and my friends out on the street. We lived in the neighborhood. and we See, we went outside when we were little. You know, I, this generation, you know, the Xbox and all that, uh, I understand it. But we went outside. You know, in fact, there were some times when my mom kicked us out the house and locked the screen door. Said, don't come back till lunch. <laughs> I'll have something for you to eat at lunch. <laughs> or if somebody's bleeding, and it's really bleeding, not just a little bit, you know, then come back, all right? You go out and play. And so we just, you know, did all kinds of things. And we stayed outside. And we, we used to play football on the front porch. And there was a lady that lived uh, down a few houses and across the street. And I'm ashamed to say that we called her Nosy Rosie. And uh, she, because she would always come out in our yard. And to us, she was always yelling at the kids. What are you all doing? Stop making noise out there, you know. And we, and we just thought that she was the meanest person. And her face, you know, her face was like that. And she never smiled. And she always talk this way, you know. And you know what was interesting? It wasn't until later I became an older teen. Actually, I think I went to the army and come back home and saw her one day and just stopped by. She was out in the front yard and started talking to her. She was the nicest lady in the whole world, you know. And she was laughing about how when the kids were out in the street playing and she would mess with us, you know. And uh, she said, I was just joking with you guys. And I was thinking, well, I couldn't tell because, you know, (laughs) but I didn't tell her that. (laughs) And uh, I said, well, you know, Miss Rose, I got to tell you something, you know, because uh, then I just I got saved, you know, I was saved about a year and all this. And I said, well, I got to tell you something. I got to confess something to you. You know, when we were kids. We used to call you Nosy Rosie. She said, I know. I, I, I heard you all the time. <laughs> she said, so when you call me that, I just keep doing I just keep messing with you, you know. And so uh, but what John is telling us here is that, listen, take the frown off and put a smile on your face. All right, you affect other people that way. What did Jesus say? He said, treat others the way that what? You like to be treated, not treat them the way they treat you. That's what we do. I know I'm I'm guilty. Come on. A lot of times if someone doesn't speak to me, I say, well, that's all right. I won't speak to you. You know, I treat them the way they treat me. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, treat others the way you want to be treated. He didn't go on and say this, but implied in there is no matter how they treat you. Now, let's not be a doormat and get run over. I'm not talking about that, you know. But I'm saying if you want to affect them, uh, share a little niceness. Come on. Plant a little niceness for what? You reap what you sow, all right? If you want to sow niceness from a person, gentleness, what do you have to do? A friend must first show himself friendly. All right. Fellowship implies purity of heart, all right? Doing it from a pure heart, the standpoint of a pure heart. All right, I really do want to see you grow. I really do want to be your friend. I really do want to be nice to you. I really want good things to happen to you. I'm not just saying that because this is Sunday and we're at church and that's what I'm supposed to say. But I really do want good things to happen for and to you. Fellowship implies relationships that are close and intimate. Not cold and distant. And sometimes these relationships that are cold and distant, you don't mean for them to be that way. But it goes back to what we said earlier. And listen, I'm looking in the mirror on this big time. Is that it takes work. It takes some work. 
Listen, maybe you're a person that goes to school uh, or, you know, you have your job. Maybe you're married and you work and you, you know, you come home from work and you have to do dinner or maybe you have to help with homework or, you know, you have to do some chores. And by that time, it's, uh, you know, you're worn out already from the day and now you had to do some things at home. Maybe you had to run a few errands and now it's, uh, you know, it's getting to be late and, you, you know, you you wash up or take a shower or whatever and put your jammies on and now it's time to go to bed and then you get up the next day and do the same thing all over again. It seems like there's no time for any fellowship. Well, guess what? It takes some work. It takes some work, doesn't it? If somebody, if somebody sent you a letter and said, listen, I know you're real busy on Tuesday evening, but if you can find some time to come down here to the bank, we've got about $55,000 to give you, but you have to come get it. Do you think you would find any time on that Tuesday evening to go down to the bank? I know if I'm like you, I'll make time. If you're like me, you definitely would make time to do that. And so our relationships are the same way. We have to look at that as an investment. It takes effort and it takes time to fellowship. And that's what John is trying to get us to see. That's the way Jesus was when he walked the earth. You don't think Jesus wanted to get away and say, listen, leave me alone. You don't think he ever wanted to say that? I believe he did. Everybody, go home. Watch the game. Do something. <laughs> but they still, tell us more. Tell us more. You know, tell us more. <laughs> they were there so long till, uh, you know, one of the disciples had to come up to him and say, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, I know you're preaching. And boy, boy, you are preaching good. This is some good preaching. But I just want to tell you that uh, we're a little hungry. We've been here for some hours. You know, what, what can we do? And Jesus had to say, well, you feed him. Uh, you know, what do you mean? And so Jesus had to teach him that. And so, but they wouldn't stop. They just, they were not only hungry for food, they were hungry for the word. I bet a lot of people didn't even realize that they were hungry, that they missed lunch. They just wanted to hear what he had to say. And he could just never stop. Everywhere he went, people, there were throngs of people all over him. We know this, people crying out, son of David, don't forget me. You don't think Jesus ever wanted to say, listen, I, rem I remember reading when he was in a house and he was ministering and, and, and healing, praying for people and all that. And all of a sudden the roof comes off the house. What in the world? And they lower down one of their friends. And he's like, wow, that's great faith. What am I going to do? Can't tell him to go away. Got to pray for him. Got to heal him. So it takes some effort. Live like Jesus. Okay, this is what we're talking about. Live like Jesus. You're going to have to put some effort into it. Fellowship implies a likeness, a nature of interest, mutual correspondence, a likeness of Jesus, and it applies mutual correspondence between you and Jesus. In other words, the Lord is talking to you, you have to listen, and then he wants to hear from you as well. God wants to hear from you. Well, he knows all things. Well, sure he does, but he wants to hear what you have to say out of your own mouth. That's why you pray. It's back and forth. Mutual correspondence. Fellowship implies partnership. You see, we serve him and he serves us. We are partners for life and all of life's affairs. It's, fellowship implies a commitment. You know what, Jesus? I'm in it to win it. I'm in. I'm committed. And that doesn't mean you won't ever make a mistake or fall. But what it means is you're going to get back up and say, Lord, I know, you know, I messed up, but I'm, I'm here. Adam and Eve showed us what not to do. They went, made some clothes, and hid. God, so loving, 
Didn't say, well, I'm just going to wait for them. to. They know they did wrong. I'm right here. I got forgiveness, but they're going to. He didn't do that. He went out and sought them and found them. This is your father. This is the God that you serve. All right. So we shouldn't be embarrassed to then go to him and say, Lord, I, I just I messed up, you know, but I love you. You know, show me your face. I just want to see your face. So it implies a likeness, implies partnership, and it implies friendship. Jesus said, you are my friends. And we sing that, that song, I am a friend to God. Sometimes I'm careful with that song because I don't want us to get too lackadaisical about that thing. You know, where I'm a friend to God and it's just, you know, so laissez-faire. You know, he's the almighty God. He's your creator. He's the one that breathed the breath of life in you. He's the one that delivered you from the, the only one who could have delivered you from the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock. Come on. He died for you. This is the almighty God we're talking about. But then for him to say, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. How awesome is that? It requires friendship. It implies friendship with Jesus. You are my friends, a divine friendship, fulfilling a wonderful, always growing friendship with Jesus. To be friends with somebody means to be intimate. And to be intimate with them means to spend time with them. That's what John wants us to do. Finally, and lastly, friendship implies communion with each other. Intimate, intense, a sense of understanding between our soul and God. We drink from his presence, from his word, and from his spirit. And you know what? I want to tell you this. God does the same for us. He loves intimacy with us. God loves intimacy with us. He wants to be friends. He wants to hear from us. You know, God knows everything, but I'll bet when you're talking to God, he'll, he'll sit there. Have you ever been to a party where you already knew what was happening, but it's supposed to be a surprise? And they say, well, act surprised. You know, and you go in there and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that you guys were throwing this party at 7 o'clock for me. Sometimes God is the same way with us. Really? You got an A on your test? That is wonderful. Really? You did good today? God is the ultimate encourager. Now listen, John wants us to be like Jesus. It takes work. It takes effort. Let's pray and ask him to help us live and abide in him, to live like Jesus.